Healthcare Unfiltered, the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a medical oncologist and a hematologist. I have interest with all in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. Today, we are going to tackle, tackle the ketogenic diet. I have Ethan Weiss and Kevin Bass that are going to tell us about the, the ketogenic diet. There's a lot about this ketogenic diet that we don't understand and what it means and when do you do it, when do you not do it, and what are the pluses and minuses. And I brought in an advocate and uh, who is Dr. Weiss, but uh, Kevin Bass is not too big of a fan of the ketogenic diet, although what you can listen to, you're going to hear there's a lot of agreement between both parties on the ketogenic diet. So that's great. But I also asked Dr. Aaron Goodman to join us. So Aaron, he actually did follow the ketogenic diet and it provided him with very positive results. So I thought having him as a participant in this podcast will highlight the experience of someone who decided to follow the ketogenic diet and see what happens. So without further ado, Ethan Weiss, Kevin Bass, and Aaron Goodman on the ketogenic diet on Healthcare Unfiltered. Okay, everyone. Well, it's really a pleasure for me to uh, host um, Kevin Bass and Ethan Weiss today debating keto diet, the good, bad, and ugly. Is it really something good? Is it something bad? And we have also a guest uh, star, Dr. Aaron Goodman, who is going to tell us his experience as he he actually applied the keto diet on himself. But um, First of all, thank you all for joining the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. I realize that this is not always easy to carve out time of a busy schedule. Also, we're taping this on a Sunday afternoon, and it will air sometime uh, in mid-June 2021. Just to level set, I'd like to make some introductions, and then we'll start with basic questions, and then we'll try to explain to listeners and to viewers on YouTube what is it that we're talking about and why there's some controversy? Kevin, let's start with you. Who are you? I am, as you mentioned, I'm Kevin Bass. Uh, I'm an MD-PhD student uh, in Texas. And um, I've done the keto- ketogenic diet a few times, um, once, you know, maybe 15 years ago, and then once recently about three years ago. And then I had like a brief period, I did it for like two weeks, like two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm a researcher on the ketogenic diet, so I research both the receptors of uh, ketones, so in particular beta-hydroxybutyrate, and it's a uh, receptor known as uh, GPR1-NNA or HCLAR2. And then I'm also interested in the uh, whether or not ketones themselves through pathways other than uh, through this receptor might have an impact on cancer. So both through the receptor and through other pathways might influence cancer carcinogenesis and cancer progression. And that's what my PhD is currently on. I'm in the last year of my PhD and I will be continuing my third year of medical school in a year. Ethan, uh, you have been my guest a couple of times. Uh, I appreciate you taking another time to to come with us. But uh, for those who have not listened to you before, who are you? Uh, Great question. Is this rated G? Uh, no, no, this no, is, I can say it, whatever I want. Remember, Ethan, this yeah. is healthcare unfiltered. Uh, we, don't edit, we don't edit anything. We don't filter anything. 
All right. Absolutely say whatever you want. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm an academic physician scientist, um, a clinical cardiologist. I sort of have a niche of being interested in prevention and have a research program that spans sort of from you know, animal physiology all the way through human interventional clinical trials on, on metabolism, kind of simplest way to think about it. And I think a lot about ketones and the lab is sort of doing a little bit of, I would say, toe wetting, not bed wetting, uh, <laughs> on trying to understand some of the physiology, which I think is really interesting and, and not well understood to my very naive uh, view. And then I have been doing myself mostly a modified form. I, I like to call it a Mediterranean style ketogenic diet for three, almost three and a half years. Uh, and I also, just as a way of disclosure, I also have a, I'm a co-founder of a company that is trying to make it easy for people to do this kind of a thing if they want to, to lose weight. Excellent. And uh, Aaron, you're, you're our guest. You're like the guinea pig who tried this, but it worked. So you're going to participate in the conversation after we level set, but maybe really quickly, who are you? Yes. As I speak, I can taste the ketones on my breath and I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a bone marrow transplant physician, uh, not a, a basic scientist, uh, do clinical trials. And yes, as you said, I, I am currently on the ketogenic diet. Excellent. All right. So the first question that I have is just a description. When we talk about ketogenic diet, what is it that we are saying? What are we telling listeners? What is a ketogenic diet, Kevin? Well, according to some of the pioneers in the field, um, a ketogenic diet is whatever, a diet that causes blood ketones, in particular beta-hydroxybutyrate, it's a particular one of the blood ketones to rise in the blood to a concentration of 0.5 millimolar. And that's considered by these, um, by these individuals to be therapeutic ketosis. It's some, somewhat of an arbitrary cutoff. Under normal conditions, blood ketones, that is to say under fed conditions, under a, a Western diet or higher carbohydrate diet, uh, blood ketones are say between zero and maybe 0.1 millimolar at most. Uh, so a ketogenic diet is whatever raises those blood ketones up to 0.5 millimolar. And that essentially consists of um, restricting carbohydrate and increasing fat to uh, compensate for the, for the reduction in carbohydrate. And this restriction in carbohydrate and increase in fat is what causes uh, ketogenesis to uh, occur uh, in a nutshell and, and to get those blood ketones up to that particular level. Okay. So Ethan, this is what the ketogenic diet, why, why, when did it start becoming popular that this is a good diet, at least by some to follow? And what's the goal of following a ketogenic diet? What is the person trying to accomplish? Uh, well, I mean, it, lots of people want to accomplish a lot of different things. I would say the evidence base is supporting uh, the benefits that many people may ascribe to ketogenic diets is flimsy to non-existent outside of a few kind of very specific areas that Kevin and I can talk about. But uh, that that doesn't mean that people don't think that it does a lot of other things, including like cure cancer or make you be able to walk on water. Sure. But uh, I think the most common reason that people use it is for weight loss or improvement of, but I gotta hate this term, but improvement of metabolic health, really to improve your glycemia. Um, and you know how we measure that typically with fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, fasting insulin, things like that. And I would say that it was, so uh, 
as far as I know, the first uh, descriptions of using this kind of a diet were published in the late 1700s. I don't wouldn't say that it was popular back then, but there were definitely some case reports. Um, and then many other just sort of case reports uh, throughout the 19th century. There was an Italian doctor who I believe his last name was Cantani or something uh, like that. Uh, and he wrote a bunch of books about this. And it kind of went away around, uh, you know, 1920, 21, when insulin was discovered, because, uh, and at that time, I should say people were using it to treat diabetes, and uh, which was really the only way you could treat, you could only treat diabetes with, with lifestyle. There were no medicines or no good medicines other than like arsenic. Uh, but then in the, that same time, remarkably, people started using this diet to treat epilepsy. And that was the pop, the only, I think, real use of this diet from, I would say 1920 until 1970s. And then, you know, Robert Atkins made this popular again, starting really in the 1980s. But, and and he, he brought it back with the idea that if you do this diet, you are going to lose weight. Well, yeah, I mean, you can walk into any bookstore in the fucking world and you can see a diet that's going to help you lose weight. Uh, I mean, there are 10 million diets that will help you lose weight. I think, you know, this one, he was dynamic. He was a cardiologist and he was a good salesman. And I don't know if they had any data, Kevin, I don't know if you know, but I've, I haven't seen any published or, uh, studies that Adkins himself did other than like maybe some case reports, but I don't yeah, think there back, was like an RCT. I don't think so back then. Yeah. So, 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 so Kevin, you're on, you, you're aligned here that the goal of this diet as it came in by Dr. Atkins, when he started popularizing it was to, for people to lose weight and it was also looking at the cholesterol, lowering lipids, like what, what, I mean, it's just, you know, this is you lose weight and you look sexy on the beach. That was the goal. Um, yeah, I don't know if Atkins is precise claims and I don't know if he was, there, that's a whole very interesting discussion. What was his discussion around cholesterol? How, how far does that discussion around cholesterol go back? Because we're probably gonna end up, we're almost certainly gonna end up talking about that here. Um, I'm not sure about that. I do know that this is my understanding of the published literature that the relationship between obesity and um, uh, hyper, hyperlipidemia, so the level of blood cholesterol is actually uh, somewhat weak. Uh, and then often whenever you do go on a ketogenic diet, your blood cholesterol will often rise, especially if it's an animal-based ketogenic diet. Again, we're gonna jump into that more. But yeah, from what I understand, um, the, like the hardcore uh, carbohydrate restricted diet um, was sort of an induction phase. In fact, uh, contrary to even what a lot of later ketogenic diet advocates or a lot of later low carb advocates say, um, after you lose that weight on, on the Atkins side, this is just sort of a historical footnote, footnote, but after you lose that weight on the Atkins side, he actually recommended, yeah, you could include whole grains, you could include lots of other things, whereas things have gotten a little bit more um, extreme in some in some parts of the, uh, the the keto and low carb world. But yeah, that was, I think the, the original idea is that you could lose weight on um, this low carb diet that Atkins would prescribe. I don't know if he had any other applications. Okay. I think it was mostly weight loss, but you know, when he died and that story is kind of fascinating because everyone, if you ask like a hundred people on the street who have heard of him before, how he died, they'll all say he died of a heart attack. But apparently he didn't die of a heart attack. He, he like slipped on the ice and hit his head. But the story was that he died of a heart attack. So of course that didn't look great. 
here's this cardiologist who died of a heart attack. I actually thought he died of a heart attack. Yeah, he didn't. But anyway, the the diet kind of died in popularity with his death. And then it was kind of reborn. I think there was this big thing. Somebody was telling me yesterday that uh, that there was a it blew up on Reddit like 2013. But Kevin, you would probably be able to say more because you did it a long time ago. Yeah. So where, where where was where did that come? So I I first did the ketogenic diet in like 2004. Wow. Um, yeah, it was quite a while ago, and, and that was through a guy named Lyle McDonald. And this was during a period of time in the early 2000s. This was even, I think, even before Taubes, who's sort of one of the major keto low carb proponents now. This is even before Taubes, and I don't know where this came from, but I know that Lyle was very interested in it from a biochemical point of view. He did his bachelor's degree in biochemistry at Berkeley. He's a very smart guy, somewhat controversial in the sort of diet and the fitness field. But he was interested in that point of view, and he's interested in, in particular uh, with respect to uh, muscle retention whenever dieting, um, and also helps to maybe suppress appetite. And there's also a really big guy, a giant in, in the, um, the health and fitness field. He's probably one of the biggest guys, not the biggest guy in the early 2000s, his name got, named Charles Poliquin. And he was really big into uh, low-carb diets as well. And this is, I think, also before Talibs. And so I'm not sure exactly where they were inheriting that from but uh yeah that's uh it's it's been on and off it's been on and off ever since i think you were mentioning the the 1700s it's been since rollo but then it's been on and off yeah. like briette savaron it's been there's been advocates throughout especially even i mean even osler was interested and as you know ethan yeah. he was interested in using it to treat diabetes and it's been off and on repeatedly throughout uh ever since you know that you know the 1700s 1800s so i don't know where what the lineage was to me in 2004 but it, you know it's been around and it keeps and it comes in waves sure that's my yeah, understanding Aaron just a quick question when you decided to do it what was your goal like what did you decide why did you decide to do the ketogenic diet I was getting fat just wanted to lose some weight fast right so your main goal like I'm, I'm gaining weight I'm, I want to lose weight and this was the fastest way to do it yes okay I want to let's say what I want to go on ketogenic diet. What am I supposed to do, Ethan? What 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 do I start doing? Is there a guide? I mean, I, I heard from Kevin. I lower the carbs. I increase the fat. What does that mean? No bread, no pasta, but get I don't know cheese and I, I don't know. Like, what, can you give us some examples of what you eliminate and what you add to your diet? Well, yeah. Do you want to discuss the sort of conventional modern yeah. ketogenic diet? Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's important to emphasize that it, uh, this is actually, to me, a really interesting question. And I don't know if there's a way to answer it. But since nutrition is really zero sum, right? If you think about the macronutrients, the three you know, macronutrients, you can't just, if you eat the same number of calories a day, let's say you eat 1,000 calories a day, and let's say you eat 30% of your calories from protein. So at least 70% of your calories to come from fat and from carbohydrate. There's no way to reduce carbohydrates without either increasing protein or, or fat. And I think there are some people, and this is controversial, but I think there's some, so protein is a substrate for gluconeogenesis. And I think there are people out there who think that protein at higher levels can inhibit ketogenesis. And so traditionally when people do this, what they do basically is swap carbohydrate calories for fat calories. It's basically a one for one swap. So in a normal, you know, typical American diet, you're having 50 or 60% of your calories 
from carbohydrates, like I said, 30% from protein, 20 to 30% from protein, and then the rest from fat. And this is a swap. So now you're having 60, 70% of calories from fat and much lower 10% carbohydrate or even lower, depending on who you talk to and keeping protein about the same. I mean, that's the way that I think about it. You agree with that, Kevin? Well, so what usually often happens in the typical low carb diet is whenever you're switching fat for carbs, uh, say you're going to take out your, your grains, your rice, your bread, et cetera, um, and sugar, Cokes, uh, sodas, whatever. And then you then often what people do is they start eating more meat, uh, fatty meat. So yes, there is a, a, a switch of from grain, from carbohydrates to fats, but because of the foods that contain the fats, they often tend to be a little bit higher protein. Practically speaking, in the real world, uh, especially if you look at a lot of ad libitum studies, like people giving dietary advice and then reporting what they actually end up eating, often uh, in these sorts of studies, they do tend to be a little bit higher protein because often these higher fat foods that are replacing the higher carb foods tend to also be higher in protein, even though it's not necessary or even maybe for, as Ethan was pointing out, maybe even uh, good for, uh, for ketone levels to have higher protein. Often in, um, in practice, they often tend to be a little bit higher protein diets as well. But it, it depends on the guru that you're listening to. But I would say in general, in practice, since they're higher meat, they're higher animal food uh, diets, they tend to be a little bit higher in protein. You make a great point, which is that we talk about these things as like math experiments and you know, there aren't a lot of people out there with metabolic kitchens in their home who are like formulating their diets. And so really what you're eating is not macros, you're eating foods. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really important point. Ethan, when Kevin started the conversation, he was mentioning that you, you have to measure an actual, you have to measure the ketones in the blood. And he gave us an arbitrary point of a concentration. So are folks who are following the ketogenic diet measuring this? I mean, do they check the measurements? And I'm going to ask Aaron if he measured it uh, himself. But I mean, if that's what the definition of it, how often are people in fact measuring the ketones in the blood? Uh, well, I don't think we have any idea. I mean, I think that there was sort of a modern, I don't know what happened in the Atkins era. In fact, I don't, I seriously doubt Kevin, you probably know this, but I don't think anyone was measuring ketones back then. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in the past, you know, 10 years since keto became popular again, people have been measuring mostly, I would say through urine. Uh, and then some people, the biohackers are measuring it through blood. And then there's this, you know, recent development of being able to measure it through breath. Yeah. So Aaron, when you followed the ketogenic diet, were you actually measuring uh, the concentrations, whether urine, breath, blood, were you doing that? Yeah, I, I went to the Walgreens, the diabetes aisle, and you can get these strips you pee on. And, um, you know, at the start, I was doing it more because, like, I will admit it's kind of rewarding when you see it turn purple. Although, uh, although again, you know, it would be different shades of purple, but you know, for the most part, whenever I pee on one of those things, it's purple. And as I've progressed in the diet, I've gotten less diligent in checking it, but I occasionally check it just out of curiosity. I also use it like how much I can do without losing ketosis. Like, you know, I had a beer the other day, you know, and, um, that wasn't enough to do it, you know? So uh, I use it for that reason too. Again, I've never looked up the accuracy or, you know, the validity of these things, but I have been using them. 
but but conceptually, if somebody is listening and they want to hear, they want to follow the ketogenic diet. I mean, if you want to really go by the book, essentially they have to get their themselves into a ketosis, like they have to elevate the level of ketones, right? I mean, I think it's you know uh, the way I think about this is sort of how, and I don't want to spend any more time talking about this um, company because I don't want to feel like I'm need to take a shower again. Uh, but I think one of the things about this diet that's different about every other diet is that it affords the people to be able to follow a biomarker that they otherwise don't have. Like there are no other diets where you can follow a biomarker to see if you're doing it right. So, well, the only biomarker you have is stepping on the scale. And we all know how that changes relatively slowly. And it's kind of, it'll go up and down and you don't really know why, uh, you know, water weight and all the other things. So this diet is unique in that you can follow a biomarker and it can tell you how you're doing. And I think that's, to me at least, an important advantage from a behavioral standpoint, because like Aaron said, it made him feel good. Like it made him feel like he was doing something right. And I do think if you step back and start asking questions about why people, so almost anybody can lose weight on almost any diet in the short term. The place we all fall apart is being able to maintain it. And so if you start to ask questions about why people don't maintain their diets, I think one of the things that's really interesting that I, I would, you know, if I were to go on to like have a second phase of my academic career, I'd really want to understand this. I think there are behavioral components to feeling successful and feeling good about yourself that really significantly impact this. Okay. I think we know enough about the ketogenic diet. I want to get into why there's controversy. Like, you know, I, I mean, I obviously, Kevin, you have some issues against it. Uh, you know, not, I'm, I'm not talking in a, in a very um, strong way. Maybe you'll have to tell me. And Ethan obviously is pro it. What, what, where's the controversy, and what, where does it, like what? What do you both disagree on, Kevin? Very little. Very little. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if we disagree, and that's um, we probably have to ma manufacture reasons to disagree, which I'm happy to do if if uh, if you want us to try to do that. But as far as like what what the issue with the ketogenic diet well essentially it's sort of there there's actually maybe a lot here or there's a substantial amount here so as i as i was mentioning um the typical dietary pattern that people often follow whenever they go on a ketogenic or a low-carb diet is a diet that's higher in animal products and lower in well it's often often junk a junky carb so it's often like processed foods like pastries donuts cookies candy sodas etc uh, and then it's higher in animal products. Well, certainly there's a lot of bad parts to consuming a lot of processed food. And there's epidemiological studies that we know of that show a dose response relationship between the processed food consumption and mortality, et cetera, et cetera. We know those foods aren't the greatest for you for sure. But then whenever you replace them by, by animal foods, by in particular foods that are high in saturated fat, and I think that's probably one of the key uh, points of discussion and perhaps even dietary cholesterol, depending upon if you're a, you're a hyper, uh, hyper responder, but then you can often get elevations in LDL cholesterol levels. And we know from the epidemiological literature that uh, higher animal product consumption is associated with higher mortality and perhaps through this particular pathway and perhaps through some other pathways as well. We don't know exactly, but certainly that we know that elevations in blood cholesterol levels, in particular LDL cholesterol, uh, is associated with and causal for um, cardiovascular disease and perhaps even uh, cancer as well, because cancer takes up uh, cholesterol. So that is basically, that is the controversy in a nutshell. How many animal products 
people are going to be consuming or increasing their consumption of whenever they start a ketogenic diet and whether or not that's healthful. So even though you might get an improvement, so, so in Kevin, yeah. you're saying that the, you're saying if you follow the ketogenic diet, the LDL might go up. Yes. The, the sort of the popular version of the ketogenic diet that's often promoted by most of the proponents of the ketogenic diet, uh, uh, has a tendency to cause the LDL cholesterol level to go up. Yes. Okay, uh, so Ethan, we do the ketogenic diet, it might cause the LDL to go up, and I'm not a cardiologist, but I thought that's a bad thing, no? Yeah, it's terrible. So why would I follow a diet that makes my LDL go? Do I take a statin after that? Do I follow the ketogenic diet, go the LDL, take a statin? Well, here's the controversy, I think, and this is something, this is why Kevin and I probably agree 99 times out of 100 and don't really disagree about anything because a sane rational person would like you would say well gosh i don't want my ldl to be high like there's a lot of lines of evidence that suggest that that's bad for you for all kinds of things like having strokes heart attacks and dying and i think you know again it's not just like one experiment right i mean this is multiple lines of evidence across multiple different fields right you know experimental biology all the way up through randomized trials genetics the whole deal so I think we can all agree like higher LDL is bad. Like a sane, rational person right. who's grown up in the modern medical world understands that high LDL is bad. Well, I think part of what happened was there was a crew of people out there who discovered the ketogenic diet and had tremendous success with it. And, uh, you know, it was somewhat counter to the advice that they were given by their doctors, right? I mean, I grew up, uh, my dad's a cardiologist and I grew up in an era where eating fat, any fat was bad. And like everything was low fat, including Skittles. And so like, we would have like a ton of Skittles at home and as much Coke or whatever as we wanted because carbohydrates aren't fat. And so eating fat was something we were all conditioned not to do. And it was assumed, I think incorrectly that all fat is bad, not just some kinds of fat, particularly saturated fat. So. I think these people saw that they had discovered this magic where they lost all this weight, all of these other parameters that they could measure improved, including like a lot of these people have diabetes and they would be coming off of diabetes medications, which is remarkable and meaningful and important. And, you know, other markers would get better, but then there was this one bright, shiny zit, which was of all the things you could look at, there was this one thing that, that went the wrong direction. That was LDL cholesterol. So my understanding, you know, again, I'm not an anthropologist, but my understanding of what happened was that these people, again, superstitious and suspicious because everything they'd been told was just violated. They didn't have any confidence in their doctors or even in conventional modern American medicine. And they then decided, you know what? I don't, this same thing must be, this LDL thing must be wrong too. And so I think what's gone on in some corners of low carb keto world is that people have set out, not just to say, to ask the question, which I think is a reasonable question, which is in this context where you've lost weight and your metabolic health has improved, does an increase in LDL cholesterol mean the same thing as it would in other contexts? I think that's an important question that's unanswered. But to me, the default answer to that is until we show otherwise it does, these people have taken the other stance, which is not only are we just gonna assume that question, the answer to that question is it is actually not harmful in this context. We're gonna destroy the lipid hypothesis in general, right? We're not even, it's not even good enough to say, 
LDL cholesterol is bad in the context of ketogenic diets, they're going to go one step further, which is to say LDL cholesterol doesn't cause heart attacks, period, full stop. Uh, Aaron, did you check your LDL? You're our, you're our <laughs> guinea pig experiment. Did you check your LDL? No, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared now to do so. <laughs> I knew you can it was high it. before, and I would probably should have been, I don't know, though, I don't keep up my cardiology that much. Probably needed a statin, but I was like, I'm going to give myself the three-month diet, and it's been three months now. I have lost a lot of weight. Well, what uh, was your, you know, but what was your LDL before? Do you know? It was like upper hundreds. I mean, it, was, it needed to be down, um, um, mm. I think, right? You know, I don't have any other cardiovascular risk factors that I know of. I'm not hypertensive, but... It was like 190s. I mean, it was high. So, and Aaron, are you uh, are you following a, like a conventional keto diet? Are you eating like a lot of bacon and steak and butter and stuff like that? Or are you what are, what are you eating? No, so I you know I looked it up at first. I educated myself, but um, you know when I started, I I don't measure. I I'm not going to be measuring. I don't measure anything. But I you know I basically replaced most of my meals were pastas, pizzas, breads, and I just got rid of all that stuff. So actually, my vegetable intake might even have gone up. I eat a lot of Brussels sprouts, cabbage, uh, broccoli, and uh, I eat meat. I, I'll eat bacon, but like, you know, I do a lot of chicken Caesar salads. Um, so like, I'm not like adding tons of butter to everything, but I don't think twice when I add butter to something like maybe I used to have. So um, oh, how much weight did you lose in the three months? Uh, over 30 pounds. Is that to be expected, Ethan? I mean, would you, is that, I mean, 30 pounds in three months. That seems to me unhealthy as a, as a. I feel great. <laughs> no. It was all central. Uh, I mean, I was getting a gut. Wait, and wait like, until wait until you get your LDA about four hundred. Then we'll see. Uh, <laughs> then those statin, don't they have like antibodies and all these things so, now so, that can lower my. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, science will fix me. I'm trying to understand. So so so. It's intriguing what Ethan said, Kevin. I'd like you to comment that. I mean, is there is there research to say that the rising LDL from a ketogenic diet has no cardiovascular risk factors? Is that even possible? Yeah. Um, so I think that when we look at the the epidemiology of risk factors for cardiovascular disease, in particular the Enerhart study, we see that, and also Framingham. And actually, if you look at any the uh, risk calculator for cardiovascular disease, they're, they're all very similar with respect to this. Each risk factor um, is, 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 is not additional to each other risk factor, but they're in fact, they, they're, they multiply, they're synergistic with each other. So if you have say diabetes plus uh, high LDL plus hypertension, it's not like, oh, the diabetes causes a threefold increase, the hypertension causes a threefold increase, the LDL causes threefold. No, it's more like, it's not like, so it's not ninefold increase if you add them all together. It's more like three times three times three, like whatever, uh, that would be like 70 or 80 something fold. It's like, that's the way that cardiovascular risk works. So there's something plausible. And in fact, if you look at the, uh, the, the risk calculators for cardiovascular disease. There's something plausible, and this is actually funny. I'm now I'm actually taking the, the kind of a more uh, more liberal uh, perspective than Ethan, I guess, or, or maybe he would agree. I'm not sure, but no, look, I think it's plausible. I know what you're going to say. You it's plausible. At, yeah, if you look at these, if you look at 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 um, if you just raise LDL in these risk in these uh, risk calculators, the risk you know goes up from like you know 0.5% to like 1.5%. It's not a gigantic thing. It's only whenever you add these other risk factors that whenever you see like 
a big jump in LDL that you have a huge jump. But but but, in risk. but but that doesn't but, mean that it's good to have a one percent increase okay. in risk, but it's but, still a less of an increase if it's an isolated. Um, but uh, th know. things may have changed since the last time I took internal medicine boards, although I did recertify last year, so I'm hmm. still going. But basically, you did I, yeah, I did. I know I, I couldn't let go. I'm like I'm like that. I know it's crazy. Uh, but 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 what I don't understand. My, well, when I, let me back up a little bit. If you have no cardiovascular risk factors, like Aaron, Aaron has no cardiovascular risk factors, an LDL over 130 is, is inappropriate. So you should bring it below 130 or maybe 160. I have to, I, 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 you guys would know more than I do, but I thought it was, if you have no cardiovascular risk factors should be below 130. If you have Cardiovascular risk factors was either below 100 or now you want below 70, like the lower, the better, obviously. So, mm -hmm. so if I'm going to follow the ketogenic diet without any cardiovascular risk factors and my LDL goes 200, I mean, is there a way to bring it down without going a statin? Okay, hold on, wait. But before we answer that question, this is really important. The, a lot of people who do this diet, so 190 is an arbitrary cutoff that the, you know, people who do these things identified as a place where you would say, you know what, that alone is enough to sort of stimulate a discussion or should require, should stimulate a conversation around taking statins. Because a lot of people above 190 have familial hypercholesterolemia, have heterozygous familial hypercholesterolemia. And we know that that's bad. So 190 is sort of a different kettle of fish than say 160. But some of the people doing this diet are not seeing 190 or 160, they're seeing 400 or 600. I mean, I've had a few yeah. patients come to see me who have LDL cholesterols of, you know, in that range, 600 to 700. Now, I think Kevin made a great point, which is there's this question of context, right? So if your health improves in domain A, B, and C, and it gets worse in E or D, does that, what does that look like? And we don't know the answer to that question, right? So in other words, if you lose weight, your fasting glucose, your A1C come down, your CRP comes down, but your LDL goes up, what does that mean? We don't know. But then there's this other question, which is, is the change or increase in LDL cholesterol due to low carbohydrate diets, is it somehow less dangerous because of something having to do with the lipoproteins? In other words, are the, are the lipoproteins less harmful in the context of a ketogenic diet. And that is a question that absolutely has not been answered, but needs to but, be. But, but Ethan, for this person who comes to you and you see an LDL of 400, and, and Aaron, just, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, I mean, Aaron is a young guy, he's gonna have a heart attack when he gets a 400, when he get, checks his LDL, nice guy, but you know, what's gonna happen to him? But uh, do you, what do you tell these folks? Do you say, I presume you can't tell them to ignore it, right? You No, I don't tell them to ignore it. I tell them that there is a plausible possibility that I'll be wrong. But that's life, right? I mean, we don't have evidence we can't tell. I can't. But I'd say when I look at the sort of preponderance of all the evidence, I think that because there are at least two or three different things you leverage you can pull to fix this problem, that I would personally choose to fix it and not ignore it. Not, not hope that there's not a time bomb sitting in my body that's going to explode in 10 years. And you would like, fix the statin? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think that's one possibility. 
Okay. But I think what Kevin and I have sort of, uh, where we agree is that you can actually do a low carbohydrate ketogenic diet where you make ketones and you get all the benefits of these diets, but you do so without adding all this extra saturated fat and instead add an abundance of mono and polyunsaturated fats. And that has been shown again and again to actually have very little effect on ApoB or these you know, sort of bad lipoproteins. And so I think there are both lifestyle ways to do this and there are stats. So I tell people that come to me and it's a self-selected group of people, right? If they're, not, if they're coming to a cardiologist who has sort of a presence and understanding, a public facing position of not believing that LDL is something to be ignored, then they're self-selected. But when they come to see me, I say, look, you have three options or you really have four options. One is you can ignore LDL and just hope that it doesn't cause any problem. You can do that. I'm not going to tell you you're an idiot, but I will tell you I won't do that. Two is you can stop doing the diet. No one likes that idea. Three is you can change your diet. And again, reduce the amount of saturated fat increase and replace with a lot more mono and polyunsaturated fats. And then the last option is you can take a medicine. And it's not just statins. You could theoretically take ezetimibe or you could take a P-cysconine inhibitor in the right context, but there are multiple ways to mitigate this. So from my perspective, why do you sit around on the hope that this bomb has been diffused right? Like you've got a bomb sitting in your basement. I'm in my basement. There's a bomb sitting there. Am I just going to like cross my fingers and hope it's been diffused? Or am I going to actually get the right people in here to take care of it? Okay. Very, very good analogy. Uh, um, and thanks for clarifying the cholesterol. Aaron, keep us posted when you get your LDL checked. Yes. What, um, what, 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 what foods have bomb. those fats in it that you were talking about? The good Saturated fat? fat? Yeah. Not the saturated. You said there, you said some long type of fat that I missed out that, that is okay to eat. I, yeah, so basically it's, uh, well, so it's really fatty, fatty acid. So, you know, each triglyceride molecule has three fatty acids on it. And the ones that are solid at room temperature are generally have a lot of saturated fatty acids. So butter and lard. Uh, we can come back to cheese because cheese is kind of a funny thing in and of itself. Uh, but anything where you like, if you put a, uh, you know, meal, and leave it at room temperature. If it solidifies, it's got a lot of saturated fat. Okay. Uh, um, I, that's what I'm talking about, getting rid of that. And then replacing it with things that are liquid at room temperature and even pre predominantly liquid in the refrigerator. So, you know, the fats that you get in like olive oil or nuts or salmon, avocado. Ke Kevin, you went on the diet several times. Yeah. Um, and you came off it several times. I, I'm just, I just want to try to understand. I realize you and Ethan probably agree holistically on some of the scientific facts. I can totally sense that because, you know, I mean, there are certain factual things that you just can't disagree on. But fundamentally, you disagree in how you've approached this diet. Ethan follows the diet and you don't. So I guess I want to get into why don't you follow the diet and why Ethan follows the diet? Why don't you tell us why you don't follow the diet, Kevin? Uh, well, for me, uh, it, it works well. It's nice. Um, I don't see that. I don't see that. I guess there's two reasons. I don't see first. I don't see that the diet is uh, advantageous for me above um, eating a higher carbohydrate diet in terms of body composition. So I might, I think, because the ketogenic diet, as Ethan was pointing out, produces a biomarker, ketones in particular, that shows your adherence. And because 
in order to achieve elevations in that biomarker, you must be quite adherent to the ketogenic diet. There is an advantage in the ketogenic diet in that it sort of rewards adherence and uh, discourages cheating. So if I'm on a higher carbohydrate diet and I'm eating a bunch of lentils or um, a, it's a low fat diet of, of whole foods, I'm gonna be less inclined to, uh, I'm gonna be more inclined to cheat because if I cheat, oh, I'm just gonna have a, a, a donut or whatever, but it's, it's not uh, gonna violate uh, this biomarker that I'm trying to achieve. So there is that advantage to it. And, and I uh, do actually see maybe a little bit slightly lower body fat percentage. I believe I attribute it to that aspect of tight adherence from the ketogenic diet. So I do see maybe like a few pounds, five pounds less fat. I care about five pounds less fat on ketogenic diet. However, it's not a big difference. It's not a really noticeable difference. And um, the downside for me is that if I say uh, stay on it for like three months, I, I, I tend to start feeling lazy, uh, like kind of down. I don't feel as much energy as I would feel whenever I'm eating a lot of carbohydrate. I don't know the reason for that. There are some mechanisms that people uh, have suggested. It does slightly depress thyroid hormone on a statistically significant basis. There's other mechanisms, but I don't quite feel as much energy on the long term on a ketogenic diet after a few months as I would on a higher carbohydrate diet. So it doesn't work for me as well mentally as it does for a lot of other people. Ethan, why do you keep following it? For the exact opposite reason, because it works for me. It makes, I feel great. I mean, I, um, and I guess it's really important to say the obvious, which is that there's no one diet that works for everybody. And a lots of people have different experiences. I was never a dieter. Like I found this diet by accident. And, you know, it worked really well. I mean, not beyond just losing weight. And again, it's impossible to tell how much of this is like the change in my life is due to the fact that I don't carry around an extra 25 pounds of fat. Like I had to buy all new pants for the first time since I was like, it was the first time that I went that direction. Right. You normally in life, you're getting bigger, 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 bigger pants. But then I, I actually got smaller pants. So that, that was, and that, and I, and I feel good and I've continued to, you know, stay, I've weighed the same exact weight for the past three years, basically. Aaron, aside from the fact that you're resurrecting your modeling career with losing 30 pounds, do you feel better mentally, physically? Like what, 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 what impact did the diet have on you as somebody who did it? I, I feel better. Again, how much is that just due to because I lost the weight and that's a mental thing? I mean, for the last three to four years, I was working out running and like nothing changed. Um, you know, I was my, I, I just was someone who never could change their diet. I like eating, I like eating burritos, pizza. And I, I didn't want to do that. And then after three to four years, I was like, you know, I want to get back to my weight as I, as a, as a med student. And, um, I made the, the change and I, I did, it's all fat. I mean, uh, I won't get too graphic with you guys, but like, I can see that it's fat on my body that's going away. My, none of my clothes fit also, um, you know, things that were tight with the belt. Now they're loose. Um, even the scrubs that I wear on rounding uh, are looser. So that part was very rewarding for me, especially because it happened so fast and, you know, people noticed. Uh, um, so, and I do, I do feel better whether there's this mental clarity or not. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm fine. I can also go, you know, I, I, I can also go quite a bit of time without eating. You know, I have not been as hungry as I used to be. Uh, sometimes I skip lunch uh, or have something very small. And I was someone where if when I eat, I get tired afterwards, but that, that's, that stopped happening, at least on this diet for me. So how much of that's real or in my head, I don't know, but I definitely feel better. So, and I mean, what, what questions 
you think we need to clarify for listeners, really? I mean, I mean, you're, you're the two experts that I know who really understand the diet, whether scientifically as well as the impact on, on people. Again, my goal of this is really to bring both sides. I mean, for somebody who is listening, who is considering to do this diet, Ethan, what would you tell him? And Kevin, what would you tell him or her? Um, so if, I, if I'm considering this and I'm coming to say, hey, doc, I really... I'm thinking about doing the ketogenic diet, Dr. Weiss. What would you tell me? Uh, well, first I would ask you why. Uh, I'm I I I want to I want to I want to I want to be healthier. Right. Well, I can't answer. I can't tell you that this diet's going to make you healthier. I mean, I guess I can tell you that if you lose, if you're overweight and you lose weight, you're going to be healthier. Uh, but I think we have to be very careful about making claims that are not supported by data. I mean, look, we have an abundance of data. Most of it not very good, but there is an abundance of data now on these diets looking at two major outcomes, one being weight and the other being sort of diabetes parameters. Um, everything else is magic. I mean, everything else is like made up. Uh, it doesn't mean that there won't be a benefit for this diet for something like Alzheimer's disease or something else, but there is no evidence, zero evidence that it is now. And so I think if your goal is to lose some weight and therefore be healthier, then I think assuming with the one caveat that we already discussed, assuming your cholesterol doesn't go haywire, I think it's perfectly reasonable to try it. Kevin, what would you tell me if I came to you and told you that? I would say the same thing as Ethan, the evidence isn't there for a lot of other parameters besides weight loss and, you know, glycemia, average glycemia, postprandial glycemia. And I think in that respect, it's really good. But, um, and a lot of things are completely made up and um, overhyped. And there's a lot of negative trials out there for a lot of other parameters that I think people don't pay enough close attention to and um, overhype it. So don't, you know, as Ethan says, don't, don't expect for it to treat your Alzheimer's. I don't think there's good data for that kind of thing. I would say that if your LDL do, does go up, uh, his recommendations are, all, are, are good. There's also one other thing that you could possibly do. I've seen and I've heard of a lot of people reporting good results from this and there's a good there's a decent evidence base for this is you can also supplement with fiber you can supplement with something like mm -hmm. metamucil and that can actually uh, have a big impact on lowering your ldl cholesterol if you want to continue eating a predominantly meat-based ketogenic diet but if you're thinking to really maximize um the health benefit of a ketogenic diet switching from more of a meat-based more of a plant-based ketogenic diet that is to say more olive oils avocado nuts, seeds, and fish, as opposed to say the whole red meat, bacon sort of approach to, to the ketogenic diet. I think that would be my suggestion for people who are interested in uh, trying the, the uh, ketogenic diet. So, so I'm, glad you, I'm, glad, oh, wait, I'm glad you're really glad you brought up fiber because I do think that's one of the sort of confounding yes. variables. Yeah, yeah. That, in addition to saturated fat, that probably has a big impact on lipids. Yes. In the last few minutes, I just want to do something fun, like a little more practical thing. So I want to go through Ethan, a day in the life of Dr. Ethan Weiss in terms of breakfast, lunch. Have we done this already? We did this on Clubhouse, but this wow. is different listeners. But 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 in all seriousness, yeah. I do okay. think, I mean, I think in my mind, I'm trying to think uh, how difficult that is. I'm, I'm looking at the practical thing because the reality is sometimes, you know, if you have a busy schedule, you're, and obviously you have a busy schedule and a lot of people are busy and and you, you have like 15 minutes for lunch. Like it just, it's not always feasible if it's so 
picky to decide on your diet. So I'm trying, I want to try to let listeners know what does breakfast look like? How difficult it is? Okay. Dinner. I'll tell you what I eat, but I'm going to tell you that I think that one misconception, there are a lot of misconceptions about low carb diets, both the good way and the bad way. We've talked about some of the ones, misconceptions that people have that I think are bad. There are some that I think are the other way around. Like, I think people think that it's a lot harder than it actually is. It's not that hard. It's actually, uh, and I think one of the things that you end up doing, the hardest part of it is that I find myself preparing a lot more of the food that I put in my mouth than I used to before, because you can't just go to the cafeteria and easily without just like getting a hamburger and taking the bun off. You, it's really hard. It is harder to find food that kind of fits this model. So I do make almost all the meals that I eat or when I, and when I go out, I go out, I mean, I'm, more careful so you want, you want to know what i eat yeah I, I so for breakfast i have this um plant-based yogurt this almond-based yogurt it's like one of these like bullshit artisanal brands but it's actually really good it's made by a company called kite hill and i have no ownership or stock in the company but um it's relatively low carbohydrate there's no sugar added to it and i throw in like a handful of berries a handful of walnuts and a handful of seeds or like whatever nut i have in the house or whatever berries i have in the house and is, I eat having, that. Is, having, is having eggs for breakfast okay? I, I think mostly yes. Like I don't recommend people have 30 eggs a day. And again, it really depends on whether or not you are one of these people whose cholesterol goes up. So if somebody comes to me and I have a lot of patients who do because their cholesterol went up on one of these diets, we'll pull a few levers. Like one thing we'll do is reduce saturated fat, replace that with unsaturated fat. And the other thing we'll do is kind of reduce dietary cholesterol. The, the dogma has been that the impact of dietary cholesterol on circulating levels of, of blood cholesterol is relatively modest, but there are certain people like Kevin alluded to before who are hyper absorbers. And it's hard to know that you have, it's hard to know that except figuring it out empirically. So I think, uh, I certainly eat eggs. I'm going to have eggs tonight. Actually, I'm going to make a frittata for dinner for my family, but I don't need a ton of eggs. I'll have like two to three eggs a week kind of thing, but I think eating a few eggs is fine. Okay. Lunch. I have a salad. I make myself a salad every day. And the salad is the, kind of the same thing. I'll um, throw in a, usually a can of salmon. Uh, I use salmon as opposed to other fish because it's got less mercury. And this is like, you know, safe, whatever ocean, you know, not like harming wildlife, right? We all have to make choices. Um, yeah. Okay. And then I salt and pepper and then a bunch of vegetables, I chop a bunch of vegetables. Uh, I throw in some nuts um and you know some lettuce like a you know, arugula or something and then i t toss it with olive oil and salt and pepper and that's my lunch and dinner and my kids make fun of me because i eat the same lunch almost every day yeah uh, maybe listeners will do that too dinner yeah uh roasted vegetables and a protein and the protein is usually fish shrimp uh i'll occasionally eat chicken very occasionally a few times a month i'll eat um lamb or pork i don't eat beef but very occasionally i'll eat something else but that's kind of it. It's usually some roasted vegetable and, okay. and a protein. Kevin, am I allowed to have pizza, French fries with the keto diet? Um, if you, if you like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You're allowed to do it. But wait, Aaron, Aaron's actually, and this is something I think that's worth studying in the future because Aaron made had the same observation that I had, which is as I got used to this thing, I could tolerate a lot more carbs. It kind of goes back to what Kevin was saying about how Adkins had this 
staged approach to his diet where you would be very restricted in the beginning and then you'd sort of increase your carbohydrate uh, intake over time. And I found, I mean, I don't really check my ketone levels anymore, but I can kind of tell just based on how I feel or like what happens on the scale. I can tolerate, like I'll have a beer and it's no big deal, or I'll actually have go out and have sushi. Like I, I'll have sushi a few times a month and it's not, a, and with like rice and nothing happens. Okay. Um, my last question is alcohol. Yes. Kevin. Well, alcohol will knock you out of um, ketosis and it does contain calories that if you, if you drink a lot, it will, it will, uh, uh, without, um, you know, reducing your other sources of calories, then you're going to gain weight with alcohol. So that was what I would say for alcohol. Okay. Well, look, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Did I, is there, I, mean, uh, I disagree with that. I, we finally like actually have something we disagree on. Okay, good. Finally. There are, there are carbohydrates in uh, many forms of alcohol, particularly like anything sweet, obviously a cocktail that has sugar, obviously mm. simple syrup, anything like that. Beer has a lot of carbohydrates, not low carbohydrate beers. Wine has like four to five grams per glass, but you know, there's no carbohydrate. There's zero carbohydrate spirits so if you want to have a vodka soda um yes it has calories and if you drank a shitload of vodka sodas you'll get fat but it won't knock you out of ketosis or at least it didn't knock me out of ketosis um hmm. that's interesting my uh that's interesting my my understanding of the literature although okay so maybe it didn't knock you out of ketosis because you didn't have you didn't drink that much but I, my understanding is it's just as anti-ketogenic as like carbs are i'm not really? sure though I haven't seen that at all. I think there's a, huh. um, uh, it would be interesting to look at that. Maybe we should ask Peter Crawford, but I, my understanding is, and I, uh, empirically and anecdotally from like yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, my experience and experience of friends, you can, I mean, Drink it. yeah. Yeah. And when I was measuring my ketones a lot, I could go out. I mean, I was never like a major drinker, but like I could go out and have three or four cocktails and be fully in ketosis the next day. Oh, I've experimented with whiskey. Um, and uh, it doesn't seem to knock me out. Uh, okay. A reasonable amount. I won't. <laughs> well, right. I think uh, hopefully, uh, look, this was very helpful. I mean, the goal of this podcast is to bring a little bit more light into what the ketogenic diet meant. It's a very hot topic. I could tell you I had a lot of requests from colleagues and friends that they really wanted to know more, especially after the clubhouse I taped with, I did with, with Ethan. And uh, hopefully this highlighted uh, some of the controversies and, and what the goals are. Is there anything I should have asked that I did not ask before I let you guys go back to your beautiful Sunday? All right, that's good. Ethan, thank you so much. Kevin, thank you so much. And Aaron, thank you for being the, the guest on this show as, uh, as our, uh, you know, the person who tried the ketogenic diet. I really appreciate you all taking time of your schedule. And until next time, guys, thank you so much. Thanks, Shadi. Thank you. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time of your busy schedule and joining us on Healthcare Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I hope that you will tune back again. Follow me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan and direct message me there to give me any feedback or ideas how to improve on the podcast. You can visit my website at shadinabhan.com. You can also send me an email to shadinabhan00 at outlook.com. 
Please subscribe to the show, rate the show, and write a brief review. Refer a friend or a colleague to the show as well. And until next time, take care. We'll see you back on Healthcare on Future.